So like three years ago, um, I kind of talked about this last, last week, but three years ago when uh, I shared the idea of this, this new church plant with a group of people, a small group of people, about 15 people, and I shared it, and there was a group of people who said, yeah, you know, we're really interested in this. We want to do it. And we all set up these different things, and we had to, I had to exit uh, from a, a college ministry I was running. My mother had to exit a youth ministry she was running. A bunch of other people in different areas had to find a way, uh, kind of exiting from these things to go and start this new thing. And what was interesting is literally right away, the very first question we got was this. Well, when and where are you guys going to meet for service? When are you guys going to have church? And we didn't. For a year and a half, we didn't. We said, well, we aren't. And people were so confused. Well, what do you mean? Aren't you guys going to start having church next Sunday? No. Well, what are you guys going to have church? We're not going to have church. And people were like, what? Wait, what? What? I want to talk to you this morning about one of our most simple core values, but actually it's, it's quite profound when you think about it, and it's this, people, not programs. Our core values, we have 13 of them that we kind of function by, and we go back to these things and we always look at them. They're things that God gave us about how he wanted us to run Acts Church, and this is one of them, people, not programs. When you hear the word church, what comes to mind? You know what? I'll even ask it. Someone shout out. What comes to your mind when I say the word Church buildings. Anyone else? Songs. People. Boring. Thank you. Yeah. Anything else? What comes to mind? Fake plants. She's been in churches before, you can tell. Altar. Robes, yes. Fire and brimstone. So, Good, yeah. Uh, What a lot of people's things are, when you say the word church, what always comes to mind is those kind of things, right? Uh, Old stone buildings, men wearing dresses. I know they're actually like frocks. But, you know, in all these different things, you know, a a service, uh, a a church time, you know, all these different things is what comes to mind. But that really isn't church at all. Not at all. And that's not just because I like God. It's, It's really that has nothing to do with Church, even us, I think even us, probably some of our views on church are a little skewed. Even us who say, like, well, nah, you know, I've been, you know, I understand, I understand. You probably still have a little bit of a skewed view. For instance, here's a really good way I can prove it. If this afternoon you're talking to someone and they say, what did you do this morning? What would you respond? You went to church. And if maybe if we weren't in the Knights of Columbus, but if we were somewhere else and they said, well, where was church? And you'd say, in the church. So you went to church on the church. Yeah, yeah, that's what I did. But that's actually completely wrong. That's terrible terminology when you think about it because here's the reality, okay? Church is not a building, not a service, not an organization. It's not. The term church occurs 79 times in the NIV Bible of uh, the New Testament, right? And every time that it is referred to, It refers to a group of people. 79 times it's used, and it never refers to a building. It never refers to a a time. It never refers to a gathering. It's referring to people. The term they actually use is called uh, ecclesia, and what it means is a community of believers. It means a, a group of people who actually believe and who are connected. That's what the church, that's what it actually means. The church is us. The church is not a building. It's not a service. It's not a time. 
It's not even the legal organization that a church might be, you know, a 501c3 organization. That's not the church. The church is us. We are the church. So what this means is this. You cannot go to church any more than you can go to parent. You can't go to church any more than you can go to friend or to, you can go to son or daughter or child. You are those things. You can't go to parent. You are a parent 24-7, 365. That's the reality. You can't go to church. You are the church. If you say you have a relationship with Jesus, that's you. It's part of your identity. It's part of who you are. We can gather together. We can have times that we praise Jesus, but we're the church whether or not we're together or we're apart. The reason why this is important to understand is that it needs to reshape our view just a little bit because we can get caught up in kind of a different picture of what church really isn't because the church is all about people. Now, this core value, you might be thinking, wow, this is, this is good. This is good stuff. <laughs> I, have, I have something to admit, though. We didn't come up with this. We stole it from someone else. Same place we steal all our good ideas. It's called the Bible. We really don't create anything new. We're pretty uncreative. We always go back to the Bible. And this one guy, Jesus, we just rip off everything he says constantly. And we take it and we use it for ourselves. And that's where this came from. It wasn't something that we created. John Pollock's that. We actually didn't create this. This comes from Jesus. And that's where we get it. It says this, okay? That when Jesus came, he had years where he started to, like, develop. It says that he started to grow up. He started learning. Uh, he, he was learning about the law. He learned about all that, you know, the history of the Old Testament, stuff like that. He was just, just learning God's word. But also, it says he was baptized. He went on a fast, declared that really he was the Messiah to his community. They didn't really care for that. But then the very first thing he really did as he started his ministry was he called people to follow him. The very first thing, it actually starts in, in Luke 5. I'm not going to read that to you, but in Luke 5, it starts where he actually begins to, to call these men and, and ask them to come with him. Jesus came to this earth with the most important mission in the entire universe, in all of history, in all of time, to come and to save this earth that was disconnected by their sins and restore that right relationship to God. It says this in John three sixteen through 17. For God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into this world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. He came here with this mission that was I mean, the most important mission ever in all of history, in all of the universe. And when he came and began his ministry, take note, the first thing he did not do was find a building and start a service. He didn't. He didn't start by finding a location, by taking and writing bylaws, by getting and, and, and finding out we're going to be there at 10 a.m. and you should be there. That wasn't how he started. He started not by creating a fancy system or program. He started with people. He found a group of men, and he called them and said, come and follow me. Come and learn from me. He started with, with people. These men, they didn't even really have a formal way of training. It wasn't like he called these men and said, let's go to Bible college together. He called them and he said, walk with me. And they literally did. They would follow him. They would eat with him. 
They would go and they would do everything with him. When he went and taught, they would go with him. And they literally lived life with this man, hands-on training for what it was. It's, it's one of the best ways you can still learn. To this day, that's one of the things that I really think is, is actually missing somewhat from, our, I think, our college system, is people can learn a whole bunch, but they actually don't know anything because they don't ever put it into practice until they get out in the real world. And that, that idea of apprenticeship, of learning, is where you really grasp stuff. Um, I'm, a, I'm a mechanic and engine machinist by trade, and we have this terminology all the time in the mechanical world. When people get done with school, we say, all college, no knowledge. Someone can know all they want to know about how to fix stuff, and they can tell you exactly how it happens, but that means nothing when you're actually like knee-deep in a problem. And you're like, holy crap, what do I do now? And those people who might know all the stuff, it doesn't matter because they don't have any knowledge in the situation. They've never been in that place with their hands dirty to say, how do we actually fix this? And that's what Jesus did. Is he had these guys not go through some sort of program, but he said, live life with me, learn from me, experience it. He started with people. He had about three years here on earth that he did ministry, and in that time, get this, he didn't focus on instituting a church. Instead, he spent his time investing into people. Now, some would say this, well, what about Peter? I remember hearing someone would say once that Jesus started this whole thing, and he, and he, he you know, did the whole thing with Peter, and he's the beginning of the church. I want to read that verse to you, the one you're thinking of, if, if you are thinking that. Um, it's actually Matthew 16, starting in verse 13. It says this, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? Stop there for a second. The Son of Man was a term that he used to refer to himself. He's saying, who do people say I am? That was one of the phrases that he called himself. Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others say Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets. So basically they're saying, most people think that you're one of the Old Testament prophets reborn. Then he asked them, but who do you say I am? Simon Peter answers, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed to you, revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. People say, well, that's really clear. He said, Peter, you are the rock, and on this rock I will build the church. It sounds good when you read it in English until you go back and you read it in its original text and the meaning changes completely. Here's the reality. If you go back to the original Greek, this is what he says. He says, you are Peter, and he says, Petros, which means a small, small pebble. And then he says, on this rock, and he says, Petra, which means gigantic cliff. This is what he says to Peter. If you notice the beginning of the statement, he's talking about Peter's knowledge of who Jesus is. And he says, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You didn't learn this from human beings. He's talking about a knowledge of Jesus. And he says this, Peter, you are a tiny little stone. But your understanding of me and who I am being the king of God is this gigantic rock that I am going to build the church on. He wasn't saying, Peter, you're the person, and I'm putting all of this on you, Peter. What he was saying is, is that you are a little piece of this. You are the pebble at the bottom of a mountain, but the mountain is me. The mountain is the knowledge and application of people who hear about me and believe that I am the Son of God. That is the mountain on which the church will be built. He didn't institute the church on top of Peter. He instituted the church on top of the knowledge that Christ was the Son of God. 
And that's the reality of it. He wasn't instituting a church. He was saying the beginning of this following of me, it starts on the knowledge and understanding of who I am as the son of God. He didn't institute a church there. He started, the, what he did, he, he was showing him the fact that he was a small piece of it. There's three ways, though, that we can get caught up in this. We can get, we can get caught up in, in this idea that the church isn't people, and we can get our whole, our whole view so skewed and shifted. And, and there's really three big ways I want to I point out to you. First and foremost, we can get caught up in tradition. We have this weird habit as human beings that when we experience something good, we want to repeat it. See, when we experience something we like, we want it to happen again and again and again and again and again and again. So what we'll try to do is we'll try to repeat the same formula. You know, this happened with this. Let me give you a really easy, simple uh, demonstration of this. There are people who play professional sports that wear the same socks an entire season because they won a game. And they're like, maybe it's something to do with the socks. I wore these socks and we won. I'm going to put them back on next week. Same formula, same recipe. And people get into this where when something good happens, they want to repeat it. They want to do it over again to try to get the same results, and it becomes this tradition. And tradition is actually, can be very, very dangerous and deadly to our faith. This is what it actually says in um, Luke 9, starting in uh, Luke 9, 28. There's this really cool story, and it's about Jesus. And he takes uh, some of his disciples. This is what it says. About eight days, after, eight days later, Jesus took Peter, John, and James up on a mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was transformed, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly two men, who were Moses and Elijah, appeared and began talking with Jesus. They were glorious to see, and they were speaking about his exodus from this world, which was about to be fulfilled in Jerusalem. Peter and the others had fallen asleep, which, just stop there for a second. If you read the Bible, man, these guys were sleepy. They fell asleep all the time. I mean, they were tired. At all different times, Jesus yelling at them for sleeping. And I have to think, you know what? They were probably college students. They were probably college students. That's about the age I have to, I actually don't know what age they are. You have to do some research on that. But anyways, Peter and the others had fallen asleep. And when they woke up, they saw Jesus' glory and the two men standing with him. As Moses and Elijah were starting to leave, Peter, not even knowing what he was saying, blurted out, Master, it's wonderful for us to be here. Let's make three shelters as memorials, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. But even as he was saying this, a cloud overshadowed them, and terror gripped them as the cloud covered them. Then a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. When the voice finished, Jesus was there alone. They didn't tell anyone uh, at the time what they had seen. This is what happens. We have experiences that are great. Something goes really right. And just like Peter, what we say is, it is good for us to be here. Let's not leave. Let's just build something that fits this. We'll build up a place for each three of us, and we'll just stay here and experience this. And we don't want to lose this because it's so good. But it can just become tradition. It can just become tradition. That place has a, 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 it had a place for them to be able to see Jesus transfigured, but that wasn't where they were supposed to stay. Just like Peter does this, where he says, we want to hold on to these things. We don't want to let go of them. The same thing can happen to us where we have an experience, something in a church, and we form it into a tradition that we don't want to let go of. But that was never the point in the first place. Jesus reminded them. I mean, God came and he really corrected them, but Jesus took them up on this mountain, and 10 minutes later, or whatever it was, he led them back down into the trenches. The very next story is continuation, back down, to healing people, to working with those who are poor, to all these different things. There was this high experience, but that's not where they were supposed to resign. They were supposed to go back down into the trenches of life, helping people. 
When we try to hold on to something like that, we can form a tradition, and what we can do is we can, we can twist that church, and we can make a difference because we had this cool experience. We want to hold on to this tradition, but that's not really the point. At Acts, we never, ever want to get so caught up in an experience that we forget why we're here, the same reason Jesus was here. For those who are far away from God can be returned to right relationship with him. We have the same exact calling that Jesus did. And even if we have these mountaintop experiences, we realize that we belong back in the trenches, in the dirt. Because that's what our calling is, just as his was. Not only can we get caught up in a tradition, but we can get caught up in a program, in some sort of program to fix stuff. Um, there's this other story in, in Acts. Um, it's actually Acts 6, 1 through 6. And um, this is kind of cool story. This is the first, like, real church, the Acts church. And... Um, It says this, as the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. The Greek-speaking believers complained about their Hebrew-speaking believers, saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve called a meeting of all the believers. They said, we apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God, not running a food program. And so, brothers, select seven men who are well represented and are full of the spirit and wisdom. We will give them this responsibility. Then we apostles will spend our time in prayer and teaching the word. Everyone liked this idea. They chose, and it lists a number of guys here. These seven were presently uh, were presented to the apostles who prayed for them and laid their hands on them. So God's message continued to spread. The number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem, and many of the Jewish priests were converted too. They come to this place where there's, a, there's basically a problem. They're providing food for the widows, which is one thing that we're supposed to do is, is in our faith. But what happens is there's, there's an issue. But once again, look at the solution was not a program. It wasn't, we need to create a flow chart. Let's get some whiteboards up here, and we're going to find out how we can, we can figure this out. But here's a problem. These men realized what the issue was. Step one, go get me more men then. People. He says, that's the answer. These apostles understood it. It wasn't about creating a way to do the work faster or easier. He says, the, the, the problem and the solution is the same thing. We need people. That's the fix. Bring me seven men who are well-qualified. I will pray over them and tell them, and these people can continue this. He says, that's the solution. And they were, they, they were getting it, that it wasn't about more planning. It wasn't about creating some sort of system that was complex. It was about people. Same thing with X Church. Basically this. We don't ever want to create programs and then try to force people to fill them. We don't want to try to create some big old program and then say, we need people to do this. What we want to do is we want to pray and we want to find what God is calling each and every one of you to do. Maybe there is a really awesome program that God wants Acts Church to run, but we're not going to form it and ask somebody to fill it. We're going to pray and God's going to send a person to lead it. That's how we do it. We kind of do it backwards, which is actually supposed to be the correct way. It's just organizations do this, where they see a need, try to create a program, and then try to jam people into it. Say, now you should fill it. Instead, if God's doing something in your heart, maybe it's because you're supposed to lead something. And then there are going to be people who are going to come underneath. And if, if God wants to do it, the people will come. It will happen. He will make it happen. He did it with Acts Church at the very beginning. I didn't just call out and then say, God's going to have to bring people. God provided a team of people who are interested, and it, and it grew from there. We want to work with people um, to find what their ministry opportunities are, what their ministry goals are, what their calling is. We won't create a ministry and ask people to fill it. We'll pray, and we will create a ministry from what people are called to do. Third, we can get caught up in busyness. And this one happens a lot. 
happens a lot even inside of the church. People who really believe in Jesus, they can get caught up in that tradition, they can get caught up in the, the program, but this one happens a whole lot. They can get caught up in busyness. And um, this is what I mean. Christians can get so caught up in, in what they're called to do that they can begin to work for God instead of walk with God. It says in the Bible that we're supposed to be his servants, but also it says we're his sons and daughters. And realistically, it, it, the thing that we have to remember is, is we work with God to accomplish what he's called us to do. That's how God uses us. He says, you know, we're his hands and feet. and He uses us to accomplish things on earth. But we can get so caught up in the work sometimes that that becomes the only focus we have. No longer walking with God, but instead just thinking of him as this boss who's demanding deadlines and we need to fulfill these obligations and things like this. We can get so focused on the task that we can even forget about the world, which is the whole reason we're here in the first place. There's this really cool story in Luke 19. It's the story of Jesus and Zacchaeus. It starts in uh, 19.1. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus, and he was the chief tax collector in the region. He had become very rich. Real quick for you. Tax collectors were like the most hated people at this time. When it says that he became very rich, realistically what it usually means is most of these guys, they made their money by cheating people. They were really, people hated them because they demanded money from them. But anyways, he tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig uh, tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass by that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. That's the son of God, because he wouldn't have known Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house with great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord. If I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, Salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. Here's what I want you to get out of the story, okay? Jesus is a depiction of how we are supposed to live our lives. Every day. As Jesus comes into Jericho, first and foremost, I want you to see the fact that he was looking. He was looking. Searching out for what God was going to ask him to do. We've got to remember this. Jesus was the son of God, but also he was 100% man. And the way he functioned on earth was the same way we function on earth. We, we, start, we tend to think like Jesus was some sort of superhuman, and that's why he did these things. But in reality, Jesus said that everything that he did sands dying on the cross and paying for sins, we can do as well through the Holy Spirit. So he's looking, and he's walking, waiting for God to show him something. And he sees this man, and he feels God basically say, that's the guy who you're supposed to connect with. He calls him out by name, Zacchaeus. I'm supposed to come, and I'm supposed to be a guest in your home. Second of all, he actually cared. He actually cared to take the time to be with this guy as well, too. But third, this one's pretty, pretty important and why I'm talking about the idea of, of the busyness. Jesus had time to sit down and have dinner with him. He had time to sit down and have supper with this guy and chat with him. And if you notice, Jesus was successful. He spotted this guy. He cared. He took time to sit down with him. And the end of the story ends with Zacchaeus coming to know who Jesus really was. He was successful. 
we can get so caught up and so busy doing things for God that we don't have time to do what our whole calling is, and it's leading those who are far away close to. We can get so caught up in working for God that we realize and say we, we don't have time. We don't have time to go out to dinner with somebody who needs to hear about Jesus. And it's a travesty. Churches who simply spend all of their time huddled up, focused inward, praying, a thousand services a week, focusing on how we can come together, how we can be together, huddled up, huddled up, huddled up. Basically what we do is we tell the world, go to hell. Think about it. We get together and we huddle. If you go to a, a football game, and if the team came out, and if they got in the middle of the thing, and they huddled up, and then they just stayed there, and they stayed there, and they stayed there, what would people do? They'd be like, what is going on? The huddle has a function, but the huddle is so we can actually do something. There's a game to be played. There's a goal to be had. And as churches, we do the exact same thing. The world, just like those people standing in the stands, are looking at us thinking we're crazy. I thought we'd come here to play football, and all you guys are doing is sit around in a huddle. But the church does the exact same thing. We come together week in, week out, and all we do is look inward in a huddle and encourage each other. Oh, brother, you're looking good this week. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, are you feeling good? Are you blessed? I'm blessed. That's great. And as the church sits there and just huddles up and never plays the game, we tell the world, go to hell. Because we're too busy focusing inward on planning another potluck so that we can sit around and talk and all this other stupid stuff that we won't actually play the game and get out there and try to say, people need to hear about Jesus. The huddle has its function, but the huddle is to get us ready for the game. And that's what I need you guys to understand, is that it's not about business. It's not about us coming together and forming groups and forming this weekend thing and you serving so that we can all just focus in. This is a huddle. It's so that we can come together. We can refocus. We can get some strategy. We can plan out what we're going to do. And then when Sunday morning ends, we can go out and we can take our community. I talked about at the beginning of the year, on the very first week, I talked about that, that verse that says, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, every single one of us have people in our lives who God has put there for a reason so that we can show them a clear depiction of Jesus Christ. And the huddle is so we can get our eyes straight, our minds straight, our thoughts straight. We can plan something out. But then we leave and we go and affect positively the world around us. That's what we're here for. If we simply get caught up in that busyness, in that huddle, we miss the entire point of why we're here. We at X Church want people to be able to fully connect with God. That's why we do a weekend service like this that we do every week where you guys can come. There's a message given. I don't know how much time you guys get to, get to read your Bible. It's important. But there's something to be about actually coming and getting to hear somebody talk from the Bible. Every time you come here and you get to hear a message, it's the product of hours and hours and hours of studying God's Word. So what you get in 45 minutes is the, the conclusion of 20 hours of study say. So it's a way that you can get fed. We give time where you can worship and you can connect with God and you get an opportunity with music and people who are talented to lead you in a way where you can try to connect and you can try to not just connect your mind but maybe even your heart with God for a few minutes. We do things like groups where you can spend more time to look at God's word where you can meet friends and you can create partnerships with people who are actually going to keep you on track and, and work forward. 
But our goal is that still then you can be a viable change agent in this world. Our goal at Acts Church, I've said it since the beginning, we never want anyone doing more than three things a week. That's our goal. Even as you start to serve, we'd like to see you stick around three things a week that you do with church. Your weekend service, maybe your group, some sort of ministry that might take place outside of that if you're doing something, maybe like a special time or you're doing Alpha or something. But about three times a week. We don't want to see you here every single day of the week. We don't want to see you plugged into something every single day of the week. We want to see you huddling and then going out and changing those people, being an example to those people. You know, I, this isn't even in my notes, but there's, there, there's a story in, in, in the Bible where Jesus comes and he finds this man who is absolutely out of his mind, insane. And he takes and he heals this man. He casts the demons out of him. And I don't know if you guys understand, but it, can you guys take a step back? For you guys who know Jesus, sometimes when I think about me before I, I understood it, I feel much the same way as that man who, he called himself Legion because he had so many demons. I remember my mind being pulled in so many different ways I never wanted it to go. I remember all the garbage that was in my life and all the things that, that took everything that I wanted and it just confused and cluttered everything. He heals this man and sets him right. And the man says, I want to go with you and I want to follow and learn more. And Jesus says, no. He says, no. Go back to your hometown and tell them what you know. All the man knew was that a guy named Jesus came and healed him. And it changed his life. And Jesus said, that's a powerful enough story. Now go into all the people who you know that story. I'm saying the same thing for us. We huddle together and we go out, and it doesn't matter if literally our knowledge is this deep. The people who God's put in our cloud is so we can share that much. This is who I was. Jesus met me. This is who I am. I'm not the same. I'm different. Jesus has changed me. He's made me a new person. And if they argue with you and they do all this, it doesn't matter. Because you're not there to argue. You're not there to try to argue the point and win an argument. That's not our calling. Our calling is to simply say, you know, I don't know all your answers. Maybe someone else would be able to. I know the fact, though, that Jesus changed me. If you want to experience it, I'd be happy to talk to you about it. I'd be happy to take you to a place where you can experience Jesus. I'm just telling you he changed me. They can't argue with your story. They can't argue with your story. It's your story. Basically, what I want to say is this. is At Acts Church, our only consistent is our weekend service. We do this every week so that you can make a point of it. You can change your schedule so you can be part of it every single week. Other than that, we try to fit everything else into our old format, our group times, our life groups, our subgroups. We try not to create a bunch of special ministry opportunities. We try to fit them into, old, into these other formats. You know, like if we're going to do a special thing, what we'll do is we'll create a subgroup out of it. Like when we do Alpha, we don't do subgroups and Alpha. We make Alpha a subgroup, be part of it. We do things like that, and we fit it into this general format so there isn't a thousand things calling for your attention. And basically, as mean as this might sound, we basically say no to a lot. Basically, at Acts Church, what I do and what our leaders do a lot is say no. This is a really good idea. Yeah, it's great, but no. That is a great idea, but we know that our calling is very, very simple. And someone's like, well, we should do this on a regular basis. You know what? No, that's not Acts' calling. If someone in Acts starts feeling that that's their calling, we'll help you, we'll resource you, we'll help you do that. But our goal isn't to take on a thousand different ministries. 
Our goal is to lead those who are far away from Jesus close to, to get them to hear about Jesus, to get plugged into groups, to get a place to serve, and to go and change our community. And that's it. And we stick focused to that calling because we know it's what it is. We don't want to do a thousand other things. Maybe there's something you say, I don't understand why you don't care about this as much as I do. Probably because that's what God wants you to do and not us to do. If you care about it more than anyone else, that's probably because that's your calling from God and will help you do it. But it's probably because you're supposed to lead it instead of just saying someone should do something about it. Maybe it's you. Maybe you're the one who's supposed to do something about it. We'll say no a lot, and I'll do that adamantly because I know what we're supposed to do, and we stick to it. We stick to it. Jesus was all about people, and that is why Acts Church is people, not programs. That's why we're all about it, because we are all about Jesus. I say this. Jesus did not come to this earth to start a church. Jesus came to this earth to save souls. Jesus didn't come to this earth to start some sort of religious system. He came to this earth for you. For you. Each and every one of you. And his mind was not creating some sort of awesome church system that people got holy and got religious. In his mind, when he came and bled and died, was Ken, was Tabitha, was Emma. It was people. That's why he came. That's why he did it. That's what we have to get and we have to understand. I want to give you two things this morning, okay? First and foremost, if you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, there's a reason why you're here this morning. The whole reason why Jesus Christ came. He said he came to come here and pay for all that sin that separates you. It says in the Bible, it, this is a really awesome verse, uh, you know, Romans 6.23, it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. It says that all of that garbage that's in our mind from day one, all the sin that's on us, that basically when we get to the end of our life, we have to pay for that with our own lives. But it says that God found the loophole in the system he sent Jesus to this earth, just like that, that John 3.16 says. And Jesus lived a perfect life, so at the end of it, when he was supposed to die, he could not. He had to carry someone else's sin. And it says that what he did is since he was perfect and he was God, it says that he took everyone's sins, yours and mine included, and he carried them to the cross, and his death, he paid for all of those sins. And he says, now all of you are free to live lives where you do not have to pay for that sin at the end of your life, but what you have to do is you have to trust in my payment for your sins. You have to believe on the Son of God, and then you have to make me your Lord, which means that you start to rearrange your life and focus on, if Jesus paid for my sins, then I'm going to start living my life in accordance with what he wants for me. And it says that you can experience salvation, so when that end day comes, when you finally do expire, the debt on your life is already marked paid. And you go into eternity of heaven with Jesus. I'll give you two options. Just go ahead and close your eyes this morning with me. First this. If there is somebody here who this morning says, listen, I do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and I need that relationship. I'm a sinner, and I know that I need God's forgiveness for the sin in my life. I need that relationship. If that's you, all you need to do, really simple, no one's up looking around. Raise your hand above your head. Lift your eyes and look me in the eyes. I want to see you. I'm not going to call out your name or nothing like that, but just go ahead and raise your hand and give me a look. 
Okay, and secondly, if this morning you're getting it and you're saying, I'm understanding, it's about people, it's not about programs, it's not about a religious system. If that's you this morning and you say, God, I need you to keep building my faith. I need you to rearrange my faith. I need you to put this in me, that calling that you had. I want you to, to, to change me so that I can be that change agent for you so that I can affect those people around you. If that's you, okay? I want to pray for you guys before we leave. And what I want you to do is just raise your hand above your head and I'm going to pray for you. God's the only one who's going to see your hands. I don't even care to see him. He's going to see it and I want to pray for you. Jesus, I thank you so much this morning. I pray to you that you would consistently um, keep changing our mindset, that you would build us, Lord God, to be more like you, that you would change our minds and not let us get caught up in tradition, in a system, or in busyness, but God, that we would always remember that it is about people. I just thank you, Jesus Christ, for your sacrifice and what you do. In your name I pray, Jesus. Amen. All right, guys, thank you so much for being here. I pray that this week you would keep that in mind, people, not programs, and I pray that uh, as well people would go back, get connected to life groups. That's one of the best ways, people, not programs. And last but not least, go out and change the world this week.